Well, I'm glad to be back with you today. I'm glad to be uh, in the Gospel of John again. I'm, um, I'm excited about where today's message is going, and uh, I hope we, we get to see something incredible in John chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 13. Last week, I talked to you about how Jesus went public when he changed the water into wine. If, you, if, you've, not, if you've missed a couple of Sundays and you want to catch up with the series you can, you can go to oscconnect.com and you can uh, upload the, the sermons, the previous sermons, or you can download our OSC Connect app and um, you can get all the, the latest messages there. You can also listen to Pastor Josh, Pastor JJ, and any special guests that we might have that come in. So last week we talked about how Jesus went public by changing water into wine, and in doing so, he demonstrated something. Jesus demonstrated that he had power and, and Jesus also demonstrated that his, he had deity, like he was supreme over all creation. He demonstrated something when he, when he changed water, the six pots of water into wine, so, and it was so good that even the master of ceremonies went to the bridegroom and said, bro, you brought the good stuff out at the end. To me, which is a perfect picture of Jesus, Jesus always gets better. Y'all didn't hear me on this side. Jesus always gets better. Come on, somebody. Jesus, he, he doesn't. Let me, let me stop. He demonstrated his power and his deity. And today I want to show you how Jesus is demonstrating his authority. So when changing the water into wine, he showed his power and his supremacy or his deity over the over all the creation, he changed, the, he changed, he did a miracle at the molecular level. I just wanted to say that word again because I said it last week and I was so excited that it came out right. I'm just going to say that word molecular. Say that with me, say molecular. Yeah, see, Jesus can do things where you can't even see. Yeah. And today I want to show you how he demonstrates his authority. Go with me to John chapter 2, starting in verse 13. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. It was almost that time. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle, scattered the money changers, coins all over the floor, and turned over their tables. Hold up, Jesus. What happened? Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. But the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. Jesus said, okay. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. What? They exclaimed. It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you can rebuild it in three days? You're tripping, man. <laughs> Jamie version. But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body, and after he was raised from the dead, the disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. I'll give you a little bit of context after converting the water into wine, Jesus took a few days off. I don't know if the miracle was that tough or he just had some time off or he spent with his family. Jesus did love his family. 
He spent time with his mothers and his brothers and his few disciples that he had at the time. And John, in, in, in this portion of John, he's starting to focus on Jesus' public ministry, and he's really concentrating his ministry in Jerusalem. So it was the Passover celebration. There were three celebrations that the Jews were expected to attend. So every Jew was expected to come to Jerusalem, no matter how far they needed to travel. They were expected to travel all the way to Jerusalem at least three times a year for three celebrations. It was the Passover it was the celebration of tabernacles, and it was Pentecost. And so three times a year, no matter how far it was, they had to travel. And when they traveled, they had to come with a sacrifice or purchase one there because they had to bring a sacrifice, and the sacrifice had to be perfect, unblemished. That's a little bit of pressure, right? Like to try and raise an unblemished animal to sacrifice to Jesus is difficult. And then they also had to come... With money, they had to pay a temple tax, or they had to pay, uh, give an offering, and so three times a year they had to do this. Now it was estimated that up to 2.2 million Jews would be in Jerusalem during these celebrations. Say that's a lot. 2.2 million, and they're jammed into the outer courts of the temple, and all these animals are around. And all these money changers are around, and people are having to exchange money. The money thing was really kind of funny because they, they, had, they didn't have one currency. They had many different currencies or different coins, and every coin that, that one particular group had usually had an image of a god, a lowercase g god, on it. And so the Jews weren't allowed to take any what was considered unclean coins into the temple so they had money changers who would give them acceptable coins in exchange for their, I'm going to say it plainly, they would, they would give them holy coins for demonic coins. Can I just say it like that? And so they were money changers, so they had a big old stack of temple-approved coins, and these people from all different places would come to Jerusalem with their coins, and they would have to exchange them because they couldn't give their coin because their coin was tainted or unclean or unacceptable. So there's a lot going on. Sounds like a pretty busy celebration, right? 2.2 million people plus all the animals plus the money being exchanged. Lots happening. The outer courts where all of this was happening, as a side note, was also the only place that the Gentiles could go to worship God in the temple. The, the, the Gentiles couldn't go any further than the outer courts. So because of this celebration being filled with 2.2 estimated Jews, the Gentiles had no place to go and worship God or celebrate the, the, that celebration, whichever one it was, because they had filled the outer courts already with all these other things. So the Gentiles had a hard time participating in the celebrations because of all that the Jews were doing. So I want to show you three things that Jesus loves today. And I want to try to help you understand why he cleaned the temple like he cleaned the temple. The title of my message today is Authority to Cleanse. And I want you to hear this. Jesus has authority to cleanse anything. Jesus has the authority to cleanse your life. Jesus has the authority to cleanse our Savior's church. Jesus has authority to cleanse the body of Christ. 
the capital C church. He has the authority to do so. So in verse 13, I want you to catch something real quick. It says, it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. So Jesus was going there on purpose, for a purpose. It says, in the temple area, he saw. That's worth underlying. Jesus saw what was going on. One of my prayers this morning was, Lord, thank you for seeing me. I am so glad that you're a God who sees me. I'm not one of these people that just blend into the crowd. You're a God who sees me. In fact, your word says that the hairs on my head are zero. <laughs> no, they're numbered, and you, you, you've got them counted, and, and you see me, and you know the intricate, detailed things of my life. You're not just the God who sits up there and oversees. You're the God who sees me. So I don't know if the devil's been lying to you or not, but listen to me. Let me, hear, let you, let me let you into on a little truth. God sees you. He sees you even when you feel like he's looking you over. It's not true. He sees you. Jesus walked into the temple and he saw, which tells me this about Jesus' character, that he's always watching. He's always looking. Now, the old timers used to tell you you had to be good because Jesus was always watching, trying to put the wrong kind of fear in you. But if you flip the script on that, Jesus is always watching because he cares about you. He ain't trying to scare you. Boo. <laughs> Jesus is not looking for an, a, a, an opportunity to strike you with something, he's not angry, he's not mad. But he always sees. So Jesus went to Jerusalem to observe. He's in the temple, which is God's house. He calls it that. He says, my father's house, you're turning it into a marketplace. It would be like you coming home and somebody's parked up in your yard and they done started having a party in your yard Maybe they got the wrong address, but they're barbecuing and got all these cars parked up in your finely cut grass. And you come home, you're like, what the heck y'all doing? You in my yard. Anybody know what I'm saying? Or do you park in your grass? I don't park in my grass. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem and he's observing God's house and he sees something out of order and he does something about it. Number one, Jesus loves God's house. We'll call this Jesus loves the house. Jesus loves God's house. If you notice in verse 17, it says, then the, the, his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures, passion for God's house will consume me. So it was prophesied that passion for God's house would consume Jesus. In other words, he's concerned about what's going on in God's house. Can I tell you, God's house is a little jacked up today in some places. You got people doing some freaky stuff in God's house. And if Jesus cleansed the temple, then he can cleanse the temple today. And there is a cleansing coming through the nation right now, even across the globe. Jesus is cleaning his house. Why? Because he has the authority to do so. 
So when he sees what is happening, he responds with a type of judgment, in a sense. What he saw upset him, so much so that he began to braid a whip. There's a good little nugget of truth right there. When you see something that upsets you, maybe you need to take the time to braid something. Yeah, like don't start swinging as soon as you get upset. I'm preaching to myself. (laughs) Jesus sees what's going on. It upsets him. He braids something. He starts making a whip. Can I tell you, in parenting, it's best to not respond in the moment. It's better to take the time to braid a whip. And all the kids said amen. (laughs) To braid a whip and process through what's going on. So what I'm trying to tell you is that Jesus didn't react to the moment. He paused for a minute. He was... He was intentional on how he did what he did. He was calculated on what he did. I wish I could tell you I've always been calculated and intentional. I was really intentional because if I was mad, I wanted to take it out. So I was intentional to take it out. But I was not always calculated. I wish I could go back and do parenting all over again, if I'm just being honest. Like, I, I, I some days go, ha, ah, I like the compliments about my kids, but like, oh. God's mercy and grace is big. Let me just tell you that much. And Jesus stops to braid a whip. So it shows that his anger is not some random outburst, but rather a thought through display of authority and judgment. Now, Jesus, he goes off, right? Would you agree? I mean, if you're flipping tables, swinging a whip, And running people out of a building or a temple, I would say Jesus went off. Remember, Jesus is our example. So we got something we need to wrestle with here real quick. Because Jesus goes off. I think it's pretty legitimate to say he went off. He took a table, tables and flipped them over and he cracked a whip and he ran the animals out and there was a stampede of animals and there was coins rolling on the floor, tables turned over, people are freaking out like, what the heck's going on? Now part of me goes, well, that just justifies everything I've ever done in my life. Wrong. I was not calculated like Jesus was. I was reactive to the moment in the moment. Mine was done in flesh. What upset Jesus so much? What did he really get so mad about? 
I mean, we could sit here and say, well, it's only three times a year. Why not just let them do that at the temple? It's just three times a year. And we could try to justify that, right? We could say, well, it's just three times a year. We have this celebration. We kind of close the church off and we, we do this thing where a lot of people come and we exchange money and animals are here. It's a little messy, but, you know, it's a celebration. Maybe it's okay if we just do that a little bit. Can I tell you, Jesus was aware that it happened three times a year? He knew farewell that it happened three times a year. Yet he was still upset when he saw it for himself. How do we respond like Jesus? How do we respond like Jesus and not in our flesh? Can you be angry and not be in the flesh? Is it possible? Oh, I need some help, Lord. Is it possible to respond to an injustice, to respond to something being out of order and still be like Jesus? Is it possible to turn over a table, crack a whip? I got to be careful because some of y'all, y'all like me, y'all going, hey, hey, I knew I was right all this time. Yeah, crack them kids across the back of the head. I'm justified. I'm like Jesus. Well, hang on a second. Hang on a second. We're going to have to dig a little deeper than that. Jesus messed it up. There was a lot of planning and scheduling that went in to pull this celebration off with the Jewish council. And Jesus walks right up in the middle of their hard work and their plans and disrupts the whole thing. I'll tell you this much. This was the celebration to remember. <laughs> Wouldn't you agree? You remember, you remember that Passover? Bruh. I bet there was 3.2 million the next year because word got around and took a year for it to get around. They didn't have social media, right? I want you to catch something. This is not the only time this happened. There's actually two times Jesus cleared the temple. In the Synoptic Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it records Jesus, is cleaning, Jesus cleaning the temple at the end of his life. He didn't do it once. He did it twice. You know Jesus will correct you more than once. You know he'll clean your life more than once. Do you know you take a bath more than once? Do you know your soul needs to be cleaned more than once? So it's not a once and done relationship with Jesus. He's always in the process of cleaning. He has the authority to clean and he loves to clean, not because he hates us, but because he hates the filth that attaches to us. The filth that we get ourselves involved in. So out of love, he comes and he cleanses us. This is called the passion. This is called his passion for God's house. That's the way it's described. Even in the prophecy, he would have passion for God's house. Wow. You know there's a difference between passion and anger? I'm 49 years old. I'm just starting to learn the difference between passion and anger. Can I just be honest? That confession felt really good. Thank you for being gentle with me. Some of you could have said, it's about time. But some people don't know how to tell the difference between passion and anger. And some people don't know how to express the difference between passion and anger. Amen? 
Now, I'm sure part of his passion was that the Gentiles couldn't get into worship. I'm sure it upset him that because of all this, this, out, this kind of out-of-the-box stuff was going on, that the Gentiles couldn't get into worship. They couldn't get in to celebrate. You might want to write this down. Jesus hates anything that gets in between him and others. I would underline, capitalize, put some eyebrows on the top of anything because anything applies to everything. Anything that gets in between him and others, he hates it. He will come against it. He says this statement, stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. What was the temple originally created for? It was created to be a place of worship, a place of prayer, and a place to learn about God, but mostly to worship God. That's what it was intended for. Can I tell you that's what this morning is intended for? Can I tell you that's why I don't want to become one of these churches that has to throw all these parties and smokes and lights and all these other things to get people to come here and, and then try to get them here so that then we can add their numbers together so then we can hopefully they get something from God and, and all this. Can, can we just leave the house like a house and let God's presence come and that be the attractive thing? Can we just do that? Can we just let people be drawn to Jesus? So the Jews were busy with the wrong things and they lost their focus. The Gentiles were prevented from entering because of the crowd and they, they were pushed aside. And then the Jewish leaders start to question Jesus to find out if he actually has the authority to do what he did. So they asked for a sign. Jesus gave them one they didn't understand. You see, at the wedding, Jesus demonstrated his power and his deity, while here he's demonstrating his authority and the religious leaders, in other words, the really religious people, had an issue with real authority. Just because people have an issue with your authority, if it's from God, doesn't mean that you need to back down. If they had an issue with Jesus' authority and you walk and learn how to walk with Jesus' authority, if people had an issue with his authority, they're going to have an issue with your authority. You just as soon expect it. So Jesus is very passionate about what belongs to him. And I want you to understand this today. He will fight for it. How many of you know this to be true, that there's times where we allow things to come between us in our relationship with Jesus? Maybe you would say that to be true. Sometimes it could be a busy schedule. Sometimes it could be a passion. Sometimes it could be a hobby. Right now, baseball is one of those things. Nobody's throwing nothing. Don't talk about baseball. I'm sorry, but baseball is not Jesus. But Jesus is very passionate about what belongs to him, and there are things that get between us and him. It happens to me quite often. 
I'm sure it happens to some of you. I know this much to be true, that Jesus will fight against what's between us. Here's what's funny about the things that get between us. We love them a whole lot. And if, I, if, you, if I'm being honest, that's the real issue, is that we love things more than we love Jesus because we allow them to get in between us. So number two, Jesus loves the church, the capital C church. So number one, he loves the house, God's house, the meeting place, the, the place where we go together and we come together and we worship and we, we grow and we learn and we, we, we celebrate Jesus together. He loves the house and then he loves the church. By the way, the church is not the house. I know we've been ingrained in America to say we're at church. But technically, if I want to be accurate about it, you are the church. So everywhere you go, the church goes. Did you hear that? So church is not just in this building on Sundays. This is just a gathering. This is his house. We come together because we love each other, and we come together and we celebrate him. But wherever we go in this world, we are the church. We bring the church with us. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. It says this, do you not, or, do, or don't you realize that all of you together, all of you together are the temple of God and the spirit of God lives in you. God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. For God's temple is holy and you are the temple. So together we're the church, we're the temple of God. We gather together on Sundays, we gather during the week for life groups, that's gatherings, but we're the church, the capital C, we're the, the body of Christ. Listen to how Paul questions us. Don't you realize that you all, all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? What makes us the temple of God? The fact that the Spirit of God lives in us. God's particular about where his Spirit lives. The Spirit of God is not going to live in anything that doesn't belong to God. So Paul's talking about the church, the whole body of believers, Jesus loves all believers, and so should we. I'm learning a valuable lesson about complaining about people, about murmuring about people, about feeling certain ways about people that are the church. Because I'm feeling a certain way, saying certain things, acting certain ways about God's people. We should love one another. Doesn't mean that we always agree. Doesn't mean that we're BFFs. But there should be a consistent love for one another across the board. And a willingness to care and love for one another. Because the thing that we have in common is we're all spiritually alive because of what Christ did on the cross. That's our commonality. But too often we fight about what we disagree on and we don't enjoy what we agree on. You heard? 
We fight about what we disagree on, and that gets the most attention. It gets the most airtime because it gets the most views because it's the juiciest things to talk about. But what if we flip the script and we start celebrating what we do have in common? By the way, man created denominations. I want you to know denominations are not in the Bible. Man created denominations. And it's really an effort of pride is what it is. So Jesus gave his life for all who would believe. Here's one of the greatest signs of belonging to the church. You ready? Here's one of the greatest signs to know that somebody belongs to the church. You ready? Sure. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. I'm not talking about whether they pray in tongues, whether they can shout. I'm not talking about baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. Is there fruit being produced in their life? Because I know folk that can talk in tongues, but they mean. Anybody else know somebody like that? I'm like, where's the fruit? Fruit produced by the Holy Spirit is all the proof needed to recognize one who belongs to the church. So you see, God takes his church very seriously. So much so that he warns anyone who would try to destroy it would suffer destruction themselves. There's been many of churches damaged and split and destroyed. And let me tell you something, it's usually from within. Leaders can destroy a church. The congregation can destroy the church. The members can destroy the church. Be very careful what you say and how you treat God's church. He's always passionate about what he owns. Remember that Jesus still knows how to clear a temple. (laughs) And he still has the authority to do so. It belongs to him. Number three. Jesus loves the individual. He loves the person. So he loves God's house, the meeting place. He loves the church, the body of believers. And he loves the individual, the person. Paul says something again in in 1 Corinthians, this time in chapter 6. He says, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Say your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. By the way, you were bought with a high price. It means you're not cheap. No matter what anybody told you, you're not cheap. You were bought with a high price. 
You may have acted cheap. You may have had seasons in your life where you were cheap. You may have given yourself away cheap, but you were bought with a high price. The point Paul's making is to make us aware that there are things that will get in the way of our relationship with Jesus. Remember, Jesus hates anything that gets between him and others. Whether it's idols, lust, pride, selfishness, or doubt, all things that get in between us and Jesus will be dealt with. Which means this, that whatever you're struggling with, it does not have the authority to stay. Sure got quiet. Maybe that's a new thought for you. Whatever you're struggling with, it does not have the authority to stay. It only stays because you allow it to stay. Doesn't mean that it has the authority to stay. Only Jesus has the authority to run it out of your life. Which means this, that now that you're in relationship with Jesus, you're connected with the one who can run that thing out of your life. I never healed myself. I never delivered myself. I never set myself free. I never did any of those things. All I did was surrender to Christ and ask him to come and set me free. Come and deliver me. Come and heal me. He's the healer. I'm not. Come on. When I got sick and tired of struggling with the same old struggles, thank God I knew to go to Jesus. The one who has authority to cleanse this temple. Paul says some pretty strong things in that verse. He says, you, speaking of you personally, can, can I give you permission to make this personal real quick? You are the temple of God. If you're born again and the spirit of God lives inside, you are the temple of God. You, make this personal, you were bought with a high price. He wanted to buy you. He purchased you. And now he owns you. And that's a good thing. Because some of us don't like to be owned. Because we were owned wrong. So Paul is telling us to honor God with our bodies. Honor God with your bodies. What does that look like? How do we do that? That's how I want to wrap this message up. How do I honor God with my body? We know that God loves, Jesus loves the, the house. He loves the meeting place. We know that Jesus loves the church, the body of believers. And we also know that Jesus loves the individual. By the way, the individual is a temple of God. And the church is a temple of God. And the house is a temple of God. Come on. So if we know that, how do we honor God with our body or with our temple? Let me give you 10 things real quick. Well, maybe not so quick. I don't know. Let's just see. Number one, 
Think of yourself as a temple, literally. My physical body and all that is made up in it is a house for the Spirit of God to live in. God placed his spirit in my temple. I am a temple. Can you take that literal for a second? Uh, not, not for a second. Can you take that literal from now on? Like, I am a temple of God. The Holy Spirit lives inside of me. Think of yourself as a temple. What am I putting into myself? What am I putting into God's temple? What am I allowing in? Number two, be aware that God sees everything. And he's not trying to strike you down. He's trying to help you. He's trying to set you free. He's trying to cleanse your temple. Why? Because the filth that's in your temple doesn't belong there anymore. So be aware that God sees everything and that he cares. He sees it because he cares. He's a God who sees you. Number three, clean the temple often. You should be cleaning your house often. You should be washing your clothes often. You should clean your car often, even if you go to Bill's car wash. I met a guy the other day who says, I go every day. I'm like, you ain't got no paint left on your truck. <laughs> Clean the temple often. How do I do that? You invite Jesus in. Here's one of the blessings you've received now that you've been born again, is you can meet with Jesus himself. Like you, you get the opportunity to meet with him personally. And he wants to meet with you. Come on. Ah. I'm feeling some resistance all of a sudden. Like some of you just don't believe that. Like Jesus, like you really mean that, Pastor? Like Jesus wants to meet with me? Yeah. He makes room for you. You just sang the song and some of you were crying when you sang the song. You make room. You make... Is it easier to sing than to live? You get the opportunity to meet with Jesus often. Sit with him. Invite him in. He loves to sit with his people. It's one of the last things he said in the Bible was I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. If you'll open the door, I'll come in with you and I'll sit with you and we'll break bread together. Invite him in. Number four. Regular maintenance and improvements are absolutely necessary. You're a temple. It needs to be maintained. It needs improvements, just like your house, just like your car, just like your dog house, anything. It needs maintenance and it needs improvements. Which brings me to this point. If something's broke, okay, I'm, I'm going to speak to the guys on behalf of the mothers today. If it's broke, fix it. <laughs> Don't go into denial. 
Like do something about it. Don't sit there and learn how to adjust your life around the problem. It's like tiptoeing over holes in the floor. I was, I was remodeling a house one time and I was carrying a sack of concrete and I was going to, on the inside of the house, I was going to fix a pillar and I got a sack of concrete and I thought the board was good and it wasn't good. And me and the concrete beat the wall up, went down, skint the leg up. All the, it was broke. It needed to be fixed, right? It needed some improvements. Number five, Go back to number four. It's going to require honesty. It's going to require honesty with yourself and honesty with others around you. Which means this big word, you're going to have to trust people. Dun, dun, dun. It was all good till then. Number five, don't be afraid to hire a contractor. I got this. You said you had it eight months ago. I'm tipping toeing over f- holes in the floor, baby. Like it's time. Hire a contractor. Let me tell you what that means. Submit yourself to someone who's more qualified than you are. Let me give you a story. Some of Cheryl and I's dearest friends are Doug and Jennifer. And in that relationship, we get to be close friends with Dorian and Lindsay. They're kids, and so our families have been joined together by God, and it's been a long-term relationship, but a very good one, very grateful for it. In that process, when we met Doug and Jennifer, we met Lindsay, I think, y'all can correct me if I'm wrong, but Lindsay was in junior high, going to high school, something like that, and she was, she was a brilliant student, um, worked hard. That's one thing I know about Lindsay. She's a very hard worker. And she worked her tail off to get through school. But, but I, just interacting with the Glasscocks, I was able to see sometimes she had an attitude when her mama told her to do something she didn't want to do. And, and sometimes she didn't want to do these things or those things. And, and so I watched Lindsay grow up. She's much younger than I am. I was like a, a type of authority in her life because I was a, an older person. That's how our parents trained her. So I'm a type of authority in Lindsay's life. Now she comes to our church. I'm, a, I'm her pastor. And, and so I have this authority in her, in her life. And I try not to abuse it by any means, but Lindsay went and got an education I never got. She knows things that I don't know. I'm good at eating. She's good at telling me what to eat. So watch this. Over a year ago, Cheryl and I submitted ourselves to Lindsay's authority. She's way younger than I am. I've lived way more than she has. I've experienced way more than she has. But what I was doing was not working. So I had to submit myself to somebody. You know the Bible says to submit yourself one to another? You know what's required for you to submit yourself to somebody? Humility. You know what humility is? It's not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. I submit myself to Jesslyn. She's my doctor. She keeps me alive. Why? Because I'm not good at keeping myself alive. (laughs) 
She corrects me. I gave her permission. Lindsay corrects me. She's like a daughter. But she, listen, this is my point. We don't need to be afraid to submit ourselves to the right people. All of us should be submitted to one another. But there comes a time and a point and a place in your life where if something's not working and it needs to be fixed, it's going to require you to submit yourself. Why? So that your temple can stay whole and you're still, your temple can stay healthy and you can live and thrive and enjoy this life. <sighs> Don't be afraid to hire a contractor. <laughs> You'll be grateful. Number six, live with the end in mind. Be legacy-minded. What am I leaving behind? I like to think of it this way. This is just for me personally. You can think of it this way if you want to or not. It doesn't matter. But I like to, I've done a lot of funerals, so I like to think of what people would say at my funeral. Do you know I get to determine what they say at my funeral? Now, I've been to funerals that are hard funerals. As a pastor, you're, you're required not to lie but you want to say something good about somebody. <laughs> Sometimes there ain't much meat on the bone. I'm just, if you know what I'm saying. Like, like, I've been to funerals and they're all up in the corner. That's sorry, sucker. I'm glad he gone and blah, blah, blah. And I'm going, oh my God, I'm going to preach my way out of this one. I get to determine what people say about me. I get to determine what I leave behind. It can be a blessing or it can be a curse. Because I've watched people leave the planet and leave everyone they loved in full-blown disarray. And I just went back and I just sat back and went, that's foul. That's wrong. Had no plan. Didn't bless anybody. I've watched people literally feel better now that the person was gone. You get an opportunity today to decide how you live the rest of your life. Do your kids know that you can be an agreeable person? Do your kids know that you can be a forgiving person? Do, you, do your kids know that you had the ability to walk and work through problems with other people? Or do they know that you're just a person that always took your side and it was always your side and you died on your side? When you die, will your kids know, will the people who love you the best know that, that you had the ability to change because of your relationship with Jesus, which by the way, points them to Jesus as the source of change? Can your kids see that something changed in you? Can they see some new fruit in you? Yes, they can. They can see new fruit in you. You can continue to grow with Jesus. You don't have to be the same. You don't have to die like your momo and your popo did. You can be a blessing. You can be a generational blessing. Live with the end in mind. Number seven, keep the temple secure at all times. Ah, this is a hard one today. Keep the temple secure at all times. You got to guard what's coming in. 
You got to guard what's coming in. Oh. I'm going to tell you what breaks my heart right now. Before, when I was a kid, we didn't have all these devices. We didn't have all these things. We didn't have access. Your access was an encyclopedia. Come on, anybody feel my pain? And it wasn't no short read. In fact, I was intimidated because there were so many of them, I never picked it up. The only time I picked up an encyclopedia was to move it for somebody. But we lived in a very isolated world, and I think that was a blessing because that meant that the people closest to us who loved us the most had the greatest influence in our lives. Now, I'm going to say something that's probably going to offend some of you parents, but I'm going to say it anyway because I love you. Your kids aren't old enough to have a phone. Your kids aren't old enough to have access to the Internet. They're not going to die without the Internet. I made it without the Internet. I made it on food, water, and oxygen. Come on, somebody. I didn't need no connectivity. But we give kids access to the whole world, and this is what you've done. You've exposed your children to things they're not supposed to be exposed to. They're getting woken up sexually way too early. And you can get mad at the devices, you can get mad at the internet, and you can get mad at Hollywood, but you as the parent are responsible for what your kids see and don't see. And it breaks my heart to see kids. Hey, Timmy, how you doing? Kids can't even talk. I got my teeth knocked out if I didn't greet somebody. Exposed. And now they're struggling with stuff they're not even capable of handling. And we're blaming everybody else. But you're the one that didn't guard the gate. Yeah, but my wife, she says they really need that. Sounds like y'all need to go get along with Jesus and sort that out. I got some scriptures to back that up. One of them uses the S word. Submit. In the same verse, it uses the D word. Die. Sound like instead of giving the kid what they want, you need to go and ask Jesus what they need and both agree together to give your kids what they need, not what they want. And the world doesn't get to dictate what they need. The scriptures do. What do they need? They need nourishment. They need love. They need guidance. They need to be taught. They need to be trained. They need to be disciplined. And I'm not talking about whipping them. I'm talking about teaching them how to get up in the morning and take the trash out of discipline. But we're not guarding the gates. I know it's a real fight. I know it. We went through it. My kids were coming up when the devices were getting hot. We had those heavy conversations. Do we give them a phone? Do we not give them a phone? Well, they're traveling now. They're going here now. I'm thinking, yeah, but I never had that. I mean, I went to college with a bag phone. You know how big them suckers were? 
But boy, they could, could, you, could, you could be under the water, 1,500 feet underwater, and you'd still catch somebody on a phone call. That sucker could be ringing underwater. It had no access. It had no accessibility to the internet. They were still trying to figure out the internet in those days. I made it all the way to college for a couple of years. <laughs> Didn't die. Went through a hurricane, couldn't talk to my parents, but I knew I had cousins where the hurricane wasn't going. So I was smart enough to go, I'm going to my cousin's house. And later on, I got a hold of my parents on the phone. You know how I found out where the hurricane was coming? By the radio. It looks like it's going to hit about Lake Charles. (laughs) And I was in Lake Charles. I said, I got to (laughs) go. Now, to my cousin's house. (laughs) My God, it's, 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 never mind. <laughs> let, let me give you, let me, let me see if I can give you permission on something. If, if you've already failed and you've given your kids something that they're not even mature enough for, you can still go back and redo that. You can still go back and unpack that. You're going to have to pray. You're going to have to ask God to help you. You're going to have to be together as parents. But you can go back, and and I'm going to say it this way. You can take it back from them without making them feel like you're taking it back from them. And honestly, God can redeem that by showing you how to have a conversation with your children that you probably didn't have the first time. And it's a conversation they desperately need because you're responsible to have that conversation with them. And to help them understand. So keep the temple secure at all times. And that goes for us too as parents. Number eight, invite Jesus to inspect often. Invite him in to inspect. David did that. Made it to the Bible. His prayer times. Lord, search me. You know what happens when you ask Jesus to search you? It's not that he he needs your permission. He already knows. When you ask Jesus to inspect you or to search your heart, you know what you've just done? You've just humbled yourself. You've opened the door that he's been knocking on, and you've invited him in now. What does that mean? That means now you're ready for real growth. Make sense? Sure is quiet after point seven. Don't quit taking notes. Invite Jesus to inspect often. Number nine, it's probably my favorite. Learn to enjoy clean, healthy living. You know what's funny is most of us don't know what it feels like to live healthy. We've, we've become accustomed to living unhealthy. So we, we, you know, it's kind of the aches and the pains, right? You just kind of deal, you know, you're going to be aching and paining. <laughs> and if you do something out of the ordinary, there's going to be some extra aching and paining, right? You're going to be moaning and groaning. Oh, I shouldn't have cut the grass yesterday. But most of us don't know how to enjoy clean, healthy living. I'll, I'll give you an example from my own life. I, I was, before I started before I submitted myself to Lindsay, 
I was, I was taking joint supplements because my joints were hurting like crazy. I, I messed up and did some stupid stuff in college, and I was the guy they always called to move their furniture. And I said, yeah, because they would buy me things I wasn't supposed to have. And, <laughs> and so I was taking joint supplements, and my, my joints were hurting. I was like 40, 47, 48, and I'm like, ah, I'm an old man already. And, and I, I submitted myself to Lindsay, and I started eating differently. And she taught me and helped me understand that what I'm eating is causing some of this inflammation in my knees and my elbows and my hips. And, and so I started eating healthy. When I started eating healthy, I started feeling better. My energy went up. I don't take joint supplements anymore. Now my joints are hurt when I do something crazy like flooring. Come on, somebody. I mean, you, did, you, you are getting older. <laughs> There's something food don't fix. But, <laughs> but I, I, I feel better. I don't take joint supplements anymore. And as long as I eat right, I feel good. I'm, this, is, this is what's really changing me, is I'm enjoying living healthy more than I'm enjoying the things I used to enjoy that made me feel bad. I'm learning to enjoy healthy living. My God, if we could fall in love with learning, with living healthy and what that, in, and learn how to enjoy that. <sighs> had a friend of mine, he had a stroke or a heart attack one time and he said, I didn't know I was feeling this bad until after they cleared the blockage and he felt incredible. He's like, I didn't know I felt that bad. Most of us don't realize how unhealthy we are. But you are the temple of God. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And if anybody on the planet can live healthy, you can. And number 10, remember that my temple is only one small section of a much bigger temple. And that's God's temple. Which means this, and I'm not alone. I've got community. We could have a total blackout and I will not be alone. I don't need a device to stay connected. I know people. I know God's people. I know how to find them and I know how to spend time with them. Amen? So that's 10 ways to honor God with your temple. Let me ask you a question. What is Jesus wanting to clear out of your life right now? It's not going to be some great suspicious thing. Write that question down. During ministry time, I want you to, I want, I want you to trust the Holy Spirit to tell you. What is Jesus wanting to clear out of your life right now? What is he wanting to do right now? Last night, about 11 o'clock, I was reviewing my message, and the Lord told me, he said, okay, that's good. Put that up. I want to speak to you. When he says that he wants to speak to me, it usually means I need to pull out my notebook and get ready to write. And a lot of times, he won't speak until I'm ready to write. So I pulled up my, my notes on my iPad, and I got out my keyboard and my mouse, and I got prepared to type, and I put the date, and I put Jesus wants to speak, and and this is what he told me. I'm going to be real open and honest with you about some of it. He, uh, 
the first thing he said was, let me... This was the first thing he said. He said, today, I did not like your road rage on the interstate. He said this, it was dishonoring and lacks self-control. And then he told me this, relax and breathe. Last two times I've been on the interstate in the last two weeks, I've just about lost my stuff. I thought I had victory in that area, to be honest with you. I thought I could travel. Cheryl would disagree, but I thought I, could, I, thought I was better. I, I tend to give myself more credit than I, I deserve, but the last two times I got on the interstate, I just absolutely have no patience with people. Now, the reality is, is people have forgotten how to drive. <laughs> you got you to separate the truth from the lies. So even though people forgot how to drive, I still need to honor God. But that's what he told me. He said, I didn't like that. Because I'm, I'm on somebody's bumper. I'm flashing my lights like Cheryl's about to have a baby. And Cheryl can hear me breathing. And these people will not get over. And, I'm like, and she's like, baby, just calm down. Baby, just calm. And that's irritating me even more. Until finally I was bold enough to say, that irritates me. I don't want to hear you say that anymore. Let me drive. And, and you might not think that's a big deal. But the way I see it is God loves me enough to not leave that in there. Because I dishonored him. And he didn't like it. So I said, Lord, I need some help. I need a lot of help. Because we're about to go on vacation. <laughs> and we driving to Virginia. Lord, there's a lot of interstate between here and Virginia. I need some help, Lord. Whew. Might have to let the kids drive. I don't know. And then I had an issue with one of my rent houses. It's in the hood. And yesterday afternoon, Cheryl and I were working on the rent house, and there was almost a shooting in front of that house. It was a drug dealer on the street just talking and running his mouth. And before you know, they ended up in my, one of my yards. And the renter that was renting that house came out and said something. They got into an argument. I'm outside trying to cut a piece of wood and almost ended up in a gunfight. And I honestly wanted to go lay my hands on the drug dealer and carry him to the city jail myself. And I was like, I went home discouraged. I couldn't wait to get out of there. I was anxious. And I was like, I'm selling them places. Forget this. I'm not dealing with this. I didn't get into this to get all stressed out. I'm selling them. I'm out. Like these, these ones in the hood, they gone. So after Jesus told me to drive better, he said, your issue on Peach Street is a spiritual authority issue, not a drug dealer issue. Take authority over the block. That's my block. And then he said this, I'm teaching you about territories and how to possess them. You only walk in my authority when you walk with me. And away from me, you have no authority. So Jesus told me to stand, 
not to sell. So I prayed over that. And I think my next step is going to have something to do with some oil and some walking. Might be some greasy mailboxes on P Street. (laughs) But I'm now believing that those drug dealers are going to get saved. And I don't know what's going to happen, but, but I'm saying that to you to say this, that Jesus is always cleaning house. Doesn't mean that you're always broken. Doesn't mean that you're always a piece of dirt. Doesn't mean that you can't ever get it right. Listen to me, you're getting it right. As long as you're following Jesus, you're getting it right. But listen, there's things inside of you that aren't out yet that he wants to get out, and he's good at getting them out. He's better than any other other human is at getting them out. Most humans mess up trying to fix people and trying to clean people. He wants those things out of you because I think he really wants us to enjoy him better than we do. Does that make sense? He wants us to live healthy. He wants us to thrive. He wants us to give life to those around us. And he wants to be in such a relationship with us that there's nothing in between. Like there's full trust. You see, with the wine, Jesus converted. And at the temple, Jesus cleansed. I don't know if you caught that, But that's how Jesus works. He converts, then he cleanses. Religion says clean to be converted. Jesus says, I'll convert and I'll cleanse. Let's pray. You're the temple of the living God and the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Live that way. We together are the church that is the temple of God. Let's live that way. This is God's house. This is the meeting place. It's important to him. Let's treat it that way. Let's honor it that way. So here was the question. What is Jesus wanting to clear out of your life right now? Don't get confused. He's going to make it real simple. And it's going to be crystal clear. He knows how to speak directly to something. So let's trust him for that. Can we do that right now? Let's trust him for that. I want you to bow your heads and the the worship team is going to begin to sing a song. And as they're singing that song... I want you to listen to what the Holy Spirit would say to you. And I would encourage you to write it down. And I also want to open up the altar or the the front here to come up and pray. Maybe you need to come lay something before Jesus today. Normally I would get my leaders up here to pray for you, but I believe today we need to to come and have a Jesus moment ourselves. So I want to open up the altars for you as this song plays. Father, we come to you this morning trusting that your authority is pure and it's true. We're not requiring proof of your authority, Jesus. 
I just simply believe it. I believe it because I read it, and I also believe it because I've experienced it. You have full authority to, to remove anything in my life that is displeasing to you. So Jesus, would you search my heart? anything that's inside of me that displeases you. Anything that would be dishonoring to you. Lord, whether it's an attitude, a lie I've believed, a hurt I'm hanging on to, unforgiveness, maybe it's a sin, a lust, a desire that I've given way to. Maybe it's an idol, something else that I've fallen in love with. Lord, I took what was meant for you and I gave it to someone.